0: In 1944, uh, a French playwright, Jean-Paul Sartre, wrote a play called No Exit. And in No Exit, three damned souls find themselves locked in a room forever after they've died. And Joseph, Inez, and garcin and forgive my pronunciations, um, all expect to be tortured for eternity in all sorts of horrible ways, but what they find is that the torture is living together with selfish people. And as the play progresses, the characters reveal that they're really just concerned about themselves, and gradually they get on one another's nerves and start to drive each other nuts, and at the end of the play, Garcin concludes in a famous line, hell is other people. In a strange way, The play No Exit illustrates what we've been talking about this Lent, this paradox of generosity, or at least the opposite of it. Is that when you decide that your number one goal in life is to protect yourself, and (laughs) when you decide in life that more than anything else, you're going to protect yourself? and other people are threats to take away what you have, you wind up in a self-imposed hell. Now, it's actually pretty natural to be selfish. It's pretty normal not to be generous. As a matter of fact, in that study that I've been mentioning by the Notre Dame researchers that came out in that book, The Paradox of Generosity, they found that While some Americans are quite generous, most Americans are really not very generous at all. Uh, 86% give less than 2% of their income away. 75% do not volunteer in any capacity at all. Less than 10% donate blood. Less than 5% of Americans have any kind of a designated nonprofit named as a beneficiary in their will. And uh, researchers conclude only a minority of Americans are living clearly generous lives, however you measure it. Well, you might think, well, that's just people without money. When people get more money, they become more generous because then they're not dipping into their basic needs, right? Well, actually, the evidence is that that's not the case. Uh, The researchers found, quote, making more money in America is not associated with giving money more generously. And what they found was... The more income a person makes, the less percentage of the income they give. And they conclude earning a higher income in the U.S., in other words, does not translate into giving larger portions of that income away. The Bible teaches a very different vision of generosity, as we've seen and as we've talked about. In this Lent, we are looking at five different texts on the paradox of generosity. The the life-changing but counterintuitive truth that the economics of the kingdom of God are not a zero-sum game, and that when we give, we're richly blessed in return. So Matt already read our proverb, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Now, this will be one of two Proverbs we look at. Just to remember, Proverbs are short wisdom sayings about how to lead a meaningful life in God's kingdom. Uh, They don't cover everything that the topic would would want to talk about. Uh, They don't teach a complete ethical approach. They talk about what in general is true. And whenever we read the Old Testament teaching on generosity or, or prospering, we need to keep two things in mind. We always need to read the Hebrew scriptures through the lens of the cross. Jesus was the most generous man that ever lived, uh, and yet he ended his life with uh, 11 confused disciples and uh, dying. And so when, when God talks about blessing the generous, it can't always mean financial prosperity or vocational success. We also need to remember that blessing under the old covenant was thought of in material terms. Most Israelites were farmers, and so the blessing had the idea of bigger crops or cows, things like that. Under the new covenant, God's blessings are usually thought of in spiritual terms. Ephesians 1.3, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So with that in mind, let's just look at this proverb for a moment here. The first part, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. So let's think for a moment about how our lives are made richer and fuller uh, by focusing on the needs of others. And I want to tell another uh, story. This one is from many centuries ago. It's a famous story by a rabbi. And uh, the story went something like this. Uh, One day a man said to God, God, I want to know what heaven and hell look like. And so God showed the man two doors, And inside the first one in the middle of the room was a large round table with a big pot of vegetable soup that was just delicious and made the man's mouth water. And he looked around the table and he saw all these people with these really long spoons, just really, really long spoons. But they were emaciated and sickly and unhappy because they could only dip the spoon in. But the spoon was so long, they couldn't get it into their mouth. And God said to the man, this is what hell looks like. Then he goes to the other door, opens it up, same kind of room, same table, same hot steamy vegetable soup, same group of, same people with long spoons, except for all these people were happy, they were well fed because they were dipping in and feeding the other. God said, this is what heaven looks like. We were created to be generous. Our communities were created to be generous. And when we are, when we act that way, whether in the church or in our, our society, this morning I, I talked with a, with a young man out at Austin East that uh, has just a, a beautiful idea of uh, creating a, a foundation for that school. You may know that most Public schools have a foundation that the parents support, and a lot of the money goes through that foundation to support the school. And AE has not had one. And so this young man, uh, is, is starting one. And I put it on my Facebook page. I said, you've all asked me when I posted about the funerals, how, how would we help this? Uh, this is a way to do it. When a community starts to work that way, when we feed one another, the community is healthier. And we're healthier, too, because others feed us. It comes back to us. There's an interesting chapter in this book called The Paradox of Generosity, where they they identify the, the ways in which generous practices, giving away your time, your money, leading on boards, mentoring, serving, actually enrich you. And I'll, I'll mention just a couple of them. They found that People who treat others with generosity, one study found, leads to positive emotions. Simply the act of caring for another creates positive emotions. Acting generously gives us a satisfying sense of making things happen for good in the world. When people practice generosity, they enjoy the fulfillment of knowing they play an important social role in the community. People also flourish when they're not self-absorbed. Generosity helps us focus on the needs of others and less on our own needs. Practicing generosity reminds us that we live in a world of abundance and blessing and not one of scarcity and insecurity. Practicing generosity expands our relational network. Generous people have more friends because they're out helping and they meet people when they do it. Generosity promotes greater learning about the world because when you decide you're going to go help this cause or serve on this board, you you learn about it and you learn more about the world. Generosity increases physical activity, sedentary lifestyles or unhappy lifestyles. But generous people get us out of their homes and they serve and they walk and they talk and they carry things and it's good for you. So there's, there, there's a fascinating amount of data that what the Bible says is true that, that when you are generous, when your life is oriented towards other people, it literally enriches and makes more fulfilling. Uh, every aspect of your life. Now, how about the second part of the proverb? The one who waters will himself be watered. The one who waters will himself be watered. Well, I think one of the things that's happening here is Solomon is, is addressing one of the main reasons we're not generous sometimes, and that's fear. That if, if I give you my water, who's going to water me? Because there's only so much water to go around. And when you think about generosity, in one way, it really doesn't make much sense. I mean, you could say, who, who knows what's going to happen in the future? Don't I need to protect myself? Um, there's a dwindling number of resources in the world. Don't I need to grab them when I can? Isn't giving kind of a net loss? If I give you my water, I don't have it anymore. That's one way to think about it. But in God's economy, it's different. What, what we're talking about here is a scarcity mentality, and that's not the way God thinks about it. A, um, a financial planner told this story. He said, I was sitting in a kitchen of a couple in their 80s. They have a net worth of over $20 million dollars. We spent many hours talking about many questions. How much was enough? How much for their heirs? What do they want to give away? Now they were in a position to give away more money than they ever dreamed of, and they were starting to get excited about the plan. Suddenly the wife blurted out, what if I get a chronic illness? And then they decided not to give anything at all. And then he says, paradoxically, the scarcity mindset often increases as wealth increase, <laughs> that the more you get, the more afraid you are of losing it, and so you don't let it go. The kingdom of God, of course, operates on an abundance mentality. Uh, Matthew 14, a couple of fishes and loaves abundantly feeds, 5,000. thousand. First Kings 17, Elijah encounters the widow of Zarephath. She's about to run out of food, but because she trusts in God and serves him, she has enough to care for all of the needs. So part of what this proverb is telling us to do is to move from a scarcity, fear-based mentality. and, And by the way, Christians often are afraid of everything. We just can be so fearful. We almost seem to have to have a new fear that we kind of invent. I think preachers do it sometimes to get you into the pews, <laughs> but that's not the motivation for the people of the kingdom of God is fear. It's abundance. It's joy. It's, it's what God has. So if you find yourself, as you think about, can I serve in that committee? Can I volunteer in that way? Can I, you know, give or whatever? As you think about that, how much fear in there? is that you will run out if you give that way. How much of your mentality is scarcity-based? Well, let's again have some qualifications. An abundance mentality doesn't mean that you should have no boundaries and never say no and burn yourself out and sleep four hours a night and serve, 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 because God will always water you. No, that's not what the Proverbs saying. An abundance mindset is just saying that if your life is about other people, you'll be watered, you'll be refreshed, you'll be renewed. In the New Testament, Jesus is the the living water. When your life is oriented around other people and they're serving them, you will be renewed in Christ, the living water of the Spirit will fill you as you care for the most vulnerable, for your family, and for others around you. You know, this is a little counterintuitive. A lot of times people wonder, what's the most spiritually renewing thing I can do? And so we think, we'll study your Bible or pray or fast or something like that. Those are all good things. Sometimes the best and most spiritually renewing thing you can do is bless another person, is water another person. And as some psychologists say, when you begin to get down and discouraged and depressed, sometimes the very best thing you can do is water another person. Sometimes that's the very best thing you can do is care for someone else. At the same time, one of the quickest ways to discourage yourself to become depressed is to shut yourself off from others, to self-protect, to put up walls. You think, I have to do this. I'm, I'm hurt. And so you put a little castle around your heart and build a moat around it. What happens, though, when you do that, when you try to protect your own heart, is you cut yourself off from the life-giving water, and your heart shrivels up. See, all of this is part of the paradox of generosity. Let's pray now as we get ready to go to the table. Lord, we we open our hearts to you tonight. And we ask that you would just continue a conversation with us about our own generosity. And about whether or not we're living out of scarcity or living out of abundance. And as we come to the table tonight, Lord, what a picture of generosity. The generosity of your love for us that we take in and share with others. Would you water us tonight, Lord? I know the people listening have been watering others Many are tired watering others. Many are burned out watering others. If, if, you're, if you're listening to a sermon, either in person or online, it's probably because you care something about these things, and you're probably a person that waters others. So, Lord, I pray that all who hear my voice right now would be watered, renewed, refreshed as they water others we ask this in your name amen